Good evening. It's good to see you all. Please open your Bible with me once again to the book of Romans. This evening we're continuing our study there in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Now, as we read through the Word of God, we see how that those who translated the Scriptures from the original text into the English added chapter divisions and verses, which are, for the most part, helpful, as they help us to navigate God's Word, making it easy for us to find a particular verse. Now, in this church, we use the King James translation, 1611 which I believe to be among the most accurate English translations of the Word of God. Now, from time to time, I may refer to Young's literal translation, but I really believe the 1611 King James Version to be the most faithful translation available to us in English. Now, with respect to these chapter divisions, sometimes they are in unusual places, I believe that the division we have between the ending of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter 5 is one of those places, because this word, therefore, in verse 1, refers back to what was written previously. So it seems to me that verse 23 of chapter 4 would have made a better chapter division to start chapter 5. However, that being said, we'll look at it in the way that it's been delivered to us. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, we read how that Christ was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Talking about our risen Lord Jesus, Paul sets forth how he was delivered for our offenses and raised again because, beloved, he justified us. Beloved, we only have justification before God by the blessed blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, we're only justified in Christ, being justified freely by God's grace through the blood sacrifice of his beloved Son. Now look there in verse 5 of Romans, rather verse 8 of Romans chapter 5. God's word declares, There in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more, much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Beloved, we shall be saved from wrath through the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was delivered for our offenses our iniquities, all our transgressions. You see, he bare our sin in his own body in Calvary's tree. Indeed, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And because he was raised up from the dead, which declares the redemption work of Christ, how that it fully satisfied God and was acceptable unto him, When he had by himself purged our sin, he sat down on the right hand of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, we read there in the beginning of the chapter, 
therefore being justified by faith. Being justified by faith. Now that's similar to what we said, what is said in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, where we read the apostle writing there, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith, justifying faith without the deeds of the law. So justifying faith looks only and ever to the Lord Jesus Christ who justified us with his blood. Now, there are many false preachers, both then and now, that ridicule the way of salvation by faith alone and Christ alone. Your obedience unto the gospel has no part in your salvation, neither your baptism or church membership, or for that matter, any of your deeds. You see, God's people are justified without the deeds of the law. You see, beloved, we're justified by faith alone. Christ alone, grace alone, and the word of God alone. You see, God saves every sinner whom he wisely saves and justifies the exact same way that he saved Abraham. And so, beloved, the exact same way that God saved Abraham is the exact same way that he saves you, me, and every sinner whom he has wisely saved by his grace alone and with his gift alone. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. As we read there in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God. Abraham believed God. Now, where did Abraham get that faith? Where did he get it? It was the gift of God. And it was counted unto him for righteousness. And so now being justified, justified. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to be justified? It means to be cleared of all guilt. And so being justified, we are made to know how that God is the one who justifies us. And he does so in a just way, on a just basis, through the Lord Jesus Christ, dealing with all our sin and putting away all our sin. Being justified means to be cleared of all guilt. And we're going to see that as we study this book of Romans later in chapter 8, where the, the question is asked, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that can condemn? It is Christ that died. Beloved, believing sinner, he already paid our sin debt. And so we have been cleared of all guilt. And not only that, we have been made righteous in the sight of God, both cleared of all guilt, having all our sin put away, and we are made righteous in Christ. And it is only by faith. Therefore, being justified by Christ through his precious blood, by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only by faith alone. Someone once wrote, and I tried to find who I could attribute this um, 
acrostic to, but I couldn't find who originally wrote it, but it's been said many times. Uh, Faith alone stands for this. Forsaking all, I trust him. And it's not just a belief in the existence of the Lord Jesus Christ, but my friend, it's trusting him, clinging to him, relying on him, taking him by faith for all of our salvation. For it's only by Christ that we have peace with God. God's word declares, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And faith that I'm speaking about is the only faith that can save any of us. It's the precious gift of God that he gives us undeservedly by his grace given to us in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. And so this peace with God comes by, only by and through the Lord Jesus Christ, who made peace with our Heavenly Father by his precious blood and by his once and for all sacrifice. So how exactly do we have peace with God? Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 19, God's word declares, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Beloved, we have peace with God only through the blood sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this peace with God comes only through him. You see, God was in Christ reconciling the world, and that's the world of his elect, unto himself. Now, why do we need peace with God? Because, my friend, we're guilty sinners to whom God says he's angry with the wicked every day. You see, God tells us through his word how that he is angry with the wicked every day. Indeed, God judgeth the righteous and God is angry with the wicked every day. We also read God declaring in his word how that the foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. So we need peace with God because we are sinners by nature and we are guilty before him. And know this, no vile, wretched, guilty sinner can make peace with God. Rather, that's what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us, his people. You see, God's word describes what we are by nature and how that only the only peace we can have, the only peace we can have with God is through Christ. Only through Christ do we have redemption, righteousness, and reconciliation. Therefore, only in Christ do we have peace with God. So my friend, don't ever say, well, I'm trying to make peace with God. Don't say that, because you can't. Only Christ can do that. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but rather wait on the Lord, 
and he shall save thee. We read that blessed promise in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22. And so, beloved, we are right now, through the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ, reconciled to God. The prophet Isaiah sets forth in chapter 32, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 17, Isaiah 32, verse 17. The work of righteousness shall be peace. The work of righteousness shall be peace. Now, whose work of righteousness is Isaiah talking about? None other than the righteousness of God, the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. For his work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, his righteousness, is quietness and assurance forever. It's most certainly not talking about any creature righteousness. Beloved, it's only talking about the perfect righteousness of our never-failing Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we only have peace for the work of his righteousness. And the effect of that is quietness and assurance forever. Now look at Romans chapter 5, verse 2. By whom? God's word declares by whom, that is by our Lord Jesus Christ, we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Now, this is a parallel verse to what is said in Romans chapter four, verse 16. And we read there in Romans chapter four, verse 16, therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end, the promise might be sure to all of God's elect, to all the seed, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be by grace wherein we stand. Beloved, that's our standing. What's our standing? In Christ, and we rejoice in hope. What is the believer's hope? Christ is our hope. And we glory only in God and his mercy alone, by whom or in whom we have access by faith into this grace, only in the Lord Jesus Christ, and by his grace toward us, and we only believe through the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, we have access. Now that word means entrance. We have entrance. We have admit admittance. We have acceptance. Beloved believing sinner, we are accepted in God's beloved Son. And we read in Ephesians these words. God's word declares, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. Beloved, we have access. So come boldly under the throne of grace. Come with liberty under the throne of grace, that you may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Every believer is standing and rejoicing in the hope we have in Christ. And it's a good hope. It says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 16, 
how that our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us, has given us everlasting consolation and a good hope through his grace. He's giving us, beloved, an everlasting consolation and a good hope through grace and grace alone. And consequently, beloved, this hope we have in Christ produces joy in our heart. Indeed, this hope we have causes us to rejoice in Christ, who is our hope. Christ in you, beloved, is the sure hope of glory. What is the sure hope of glory? Is it to have a bigger house, a shiny new car, a million dollars? No, it's none of those things that perish. But rather, our hope of glory is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He is our hope. Indeed, he alone is all our hope, by whom also we have access, liberty, boldness, freedom to come unto God by Christ into this grace, his marvelous, sovereign, amazing, saving grace, wherein we do stand. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, and I, I never tire of declaring this to preach against the sin in my own heart and the sin of anyone else's heart here. We read in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3, We are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Remember what our Lord said to Nathaniel? Do you remember? Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Why was that? Because Nathaniel, like all of God's elect, have been justified, cleansed, made righteous, and declared not guilty through the doing and dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice Romans chapter 5, verse 3. And not only so, this is what the apostle is writing here, and not only so, not only is that so, not only is that true, but we glory, we rejoice in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. Patience. Beloved, not only do we have peace, not only do we have access and stand in this hope we have in Christ, and we rejoice in him, but we also rejoice in tribulation. Now that sounds a little odd, doesn't it? Turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. Now, of course, we don't rejoice in the pain or the sorrow or the heartache the tribulations bring, but we do rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ. James chapter 1. Verse 1, the apostle writes, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, he writes. Now, remember, he's writing to believers. Count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, 
wanting nothing. So then, beloved, the trials that God sends our way, therefore, are good. Now, we do not rejoice in the pain or the heartache or the sorrow of the trials in of themselves, but we do, as believers, rejoice in the effect that it has in our lives, knowing that these trials are appointed by God for our eternal good. Our Lord said, indeed he declares, in the world you shall have tribulation. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. The Apostle Peter calls these trials precious trials. Paul called them light afflictions which work for us. We read in God's word in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 6, Wherein ye greatly rejoice, through, though now for a season, if need be, Ye are in heaviness through many full temptations, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found under, under praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. And so trials are called precious. And we are told to rejoice in Christ Jesus through these trials. And beloved, we know, just as it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know, it's not that we disbelieve or we'd like to think so. By God's undeserved grace, he's revealed this to us, beloved. We know all things work together for good for those who love God, the called according to his purpose. And they love God because he first loved them. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, this is what we read the Apostle Paul writing, who suffered many heartaches, many trials, and much affliction. He writes this, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, just a moment, beloved, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Again, Romans 5, in the latter part of verse 3, And we see the Apostle Paul writing that blessed word again, not merely believing, but knowing. Knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope. Beloved, God sends us trials to teach us by experience, to patiently wait upon the Lord. David said, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Beloved, wait patiently upon the Lord and willingly submit to his sovereign purpose, his sovereign will, for he worketh all things after the counsel of his own perfect will. 
Again, Romans chapter 5, verse 4. And patience, that is, patience leads to and comes from experience. And experience, well, experience brings us a brighter hope. Patiently waiting upon the Lord brings inexperience or proof of that promise of God to bless his people in trials. And indeed, his people by experience come to know this. Remember when the apostle prayed three times that the thorn in his flesh would be removed from him? Do you remember what our Lord said to him? He said, my grace is sufficient in this trial. Now, trials do not produce faith, but rather trials reveal whether our faith is genuine or whether it is false. True faith grows stronger in the trial. It learns by experience, and that brings patience. True faith grows stronger in the trial, while a phony, pretentious faith will quit the gospel altogether and walk away from it. Remember the time that our Lord was teaching that multitude of 500, and they were following him, but they got offended, didn't they? He said, no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my father. And as they departed, our Lord asked his disciples, will you also go away? And Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. You see, that multitude of 5,000 people went through trials and heartache, and they departed, and they walked away because their faith wasn't true. But Peter, having saving faith, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. And so, in trials and experience, we see how that trials bring hope. We read in verse 4 how that patience, experience, and then experience brings hope. And so through the experience of those trials brings us hope that is our hope, that is our hope is strengthened through trials. One commentator writer wrote this, Experience and proof worketh hope. As the genuineness of our faith is manifested and confirmed by trial, and as we grow in grace and in the knowledge of Christ, our hope of enjoying the glory promised in Christ is strengthened. All right, Romans uh, chapter 5, verse 5. And hope, the apostle writes, and this is the hope, beloved, we have in Christ. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. What does the Holy Spirit reveal unto the believer? God, the Holy Spirit, reveals unto the believer how that in salvation, Christ is everything. Everything. Christ is all and in all, beloved. And because of our good hope in Christ, we will never be ashamed. 
God's people will never be ashamed of our good hope we have in Christ, in this life or in the life to come. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, and beginning there in verse 11. Rather, chapter, yeah, chapter 1, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning there in verse 11. The apostle Paul writing to Timothy writes, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher. I am appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher of the Gentiles, for the which cause I also suffer these things. And Paul suffered much for the gospel. Nevertheless, he says, I am not ashamed. I am not ashamed of my Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, we too are not ashamed of our triumphant, all-victorious, never-failing Savior. Believing sinner, your good and sure hope is in him who shall not fail. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded He's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Beloved, we're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, and look there with me in verse 15. The apostle writes, So as much as is in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And just continuing this theme of not being ashamed, let's look at some more verses here. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. God's word declares through the pen of the apostle, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. Christ be magnified in my body, whether it be by my living, my life, or by my death. For to me is, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Beloved, while we have much to be ashamed of, do we not? We do. We have much to be ashamed of. We have nothing whatsoever to be ashamed of in Christ and we glory only in him. All right, back to Romans chapter 5. Verse 5 again. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. And so, beloved, because of the love of God, nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in the Lord Jesus Christ. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit comforts us with Christ because the love of God is shed abroad in our heart. Abundantly, through the quickening of the Holy Spirit, through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, for the Holy Spirit reveals Christ not merely to us, beloved, but ever so blessedly in us. You hath he quickened who were dead, The Holy Spirit seals us under the day of redemption, whereby we know that the love of God in Christ is indeed shed abroad in our hearts. As the Apostle John writes, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Beloved, justified by faith, we have peace with God. And it's a good hope through the grace he's given us in Christ Jesus, because his love, the love of God, is shed abroad in our hearts. God's word declares, Now abide a faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these three is charity. Now the word charity is another word that we could use to, in place of that word charity is, is love. And so we read in God's word how that Now abideth faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these three is love. Now, so why is it that love is the greatest of these three? Well, beloved, one day faith will end in sight and hope will end in reality. But on that glorious day, When we see him face to face, our love will never end. You see, the greatest among faith, hope, and love is love for him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And we love him only because he first loved us. And beloved, this is something by nature that we would never do. For you see, because of our sinful nature, Left to ourselves, we'd love darkness rather than the light. But when God does that work of grace in our heart by the power of the Holy Spirit and reveals the love of God unto us in Christ Jesus, that hope maketh not ashamed. And this love we have in Christ grows stronger, deeper and fuller. And one glorious day, beloved, one glorious day, we'll love him like we ought to. We'll love him like we want to. We'll love him like we should in his presence forever and ever. Amen.